Oh, what's up, Ron? <laughs> hey, dude. <laughs> what's going on, man? Uh, I don't know. Fucking dysfunctional chaos. Dysfunctional chaos. Is that your new band? It should be. It's my <laughs> life. If you want to make my life a band. What record did you buy today? I, I bought... <laughs> bought the first Murphy's Law for a friend. Oh, yeah, I was going to say you don't have that one. No, I didn't buy it in 1987 <laughs> or whatever. I didn't. <laughs> that I believe. I've never bought it, actually. Yeah, Dysfunctional Chaos. That's Dysfunctional it. Chaos, they rule. That's a, that's a crossover band, right? That's the crossover band? Yeah. yeah. That's sick, man. No, that's just my mind. <laughs> it's definitely just my mind. Yeah. And my life. Well, I mean, you know, it's things can't be perfect, man. Oh, no. So what's happened since the last time I saw you? A lot of things have happened since the last time I saw you. Let's see. Oh, my life has fucking been upside down. Like, I am mentally and physically exhausted. Oh. Uh, no, spiritually exhausted. Ooh. Mentally, I'm fucking wired. Yeah. It's like the most dangerous combination. Sick. <laughs> so crazy. I'm so fucking tired and absolutely crazy. I mean, yeah. That I don't know if I need to, like, hug someone or kill someone. Um, it's like the same. Why are you so tired, man? What are you doing? I don't sleep anymore. Yeah, yeah me neither. No, I no, it's for, for don't dicks. Sleep Sleeps anymore. for dicks. I, I've been sleeping like three hours a night yeah. at best. I'm sorry, I'm moving around the mic a little bit. Been a really fucking restless soul. Uh, wow. What are you up doing? Uh, do, you, do, you, do you lay in bed? What does Ron do? Does no, he lay in bed? I or? fucking like you, go on you, like late night mountain bike rides. Ooh. I like sit under. Sometimes I just write lyrics. Lately, the last like week. You really time, are an angry sixteen-year-old. I'm totally an angry sixteen-year-old, <laughs> except I'm forty-nine. I'm the world's <laughs> oldest angriest sixteen-year-old. I hear that. that Actually, is it's a, a lot. Of, it's a lot of sad, and then a lot of uh, untapped creativity all thrown into one. Oh yeah. So uh, you know, I'm trying to make the the best of it. I wish I was creative as I was like twenty years ago. I used to like write four songs a day. Now it's like I'm writing four songs teeth. a day all week. Actually, really? it's been a full week of writing four songs wow. a day, which is like you know. Well, I'm glad you have that outlet, Brown. Yeah, it's great. I don't know where to sing it yet, but whatever. I, <laughs> I mean, I have a pen and paper. I mean, it, that's all you need, man. <laughs> yeah, I have that. You and know, I have uh, I have enough hours awake that I can do it, but uh, it's not really working. But I'm better than you know. At 16, I would have been like breaking windows and cutting myself a razor blade so I've well, evolved so much yes or putting holes in walls which is uh, oh, yeah, my, 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 wall, my, my new pastime like <laughs> forget it looks like Tyson was in my room it's incredible that my uh, my daughter can be as frustrating as my first girlfriend who's the only other person I've punched a wall about <laughs> so like, like it's uh, I mean I don't know what that says about me but uh, I, I don't either because yeah. I don't have children. Inanimate, but, um, inanimate objects, they're, they're good things. Um, I found children to be calming lately. The ooh, few children that have been in my life. They're not mine. Considering how bleak the future is. Considering how bleak the future is. What's that? Considering how bleak the future is. It's uplifting, you know. Well, yeah. That's I mean, <laughs> that's a whole other ball of shit. I just, uh, so, so today's episode, today's intro for, for two months ago's episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, what time was it? Yes, uh, we tried to do this intro um, last time we were together when we recorded uh, Mike D and recorded Glassjaw and whatnot. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. We did try to do And it, it didn't work out. It became it became a glass jaw podcast. Yeah, that was cool though, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not out yet though. No, I'm working on editing that one. It's uh, not easy. Um, Were there like eight people talking at once? No, it wasn't so much that. It's just like I, I think it, it's just like Daryl. Daryl basically slinging? a lot of shit slinging, and Daryl basically just interviewed me. 
So <laughs> I was he trying was to get crazy. to answering he your fucking what questions. Shirts you were wearing at shows I in like don't. 1993. Yeah, like, man, fuck? it's fucking crazy. It's crazy. I actually, I, I can see you at eight o'clock tonight, and I wouldn't remember what shirt you're wearing right now. I, I know. It doesn't make that impact. It's uh, even I, if it's not my favorite artist. I don't think. I don't know. I did. No. Yeah. I don't know. He really absorbed that, and it really like. You know, some people just name their interview their influences for like some kind of street cred, but when it comes to him, I mean. That stuff's sacred, and you can tell. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. Uh, that's flattering. It's it, cool. it, 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 it's very flattering. Yeah, the uh, and the record's awesome. But the um, yeah, so this is Dan Looker and Dan Looker. We interviewed the day that um, they played. Nuclear Assault played here at Vitus oh, for right. Howie Abrams' fiftieth birthday party. Yep. Um, and it was a it was definitely like a bucket list show for me. I was very very happy that day that was fun uh, yeah it was it was really good they, almost had a heart attack though yeah so so i wanted to tell the story because i thought it was fucking funny it was like third song the drummer just stops gets up walks through the crowd and goes to the bathroom and everybody was looking like, really haggard and yeah, fucking he, frazzled like yeah we were like did some, did he have a fucking stroke or something like what the fuck I didn't know what was happening. comes back a couple minutes later and and like it's just like he he was Apparently, sweating like he got gang raped. I like, didn't know what happened. It was it was the dump sweats. Yeah. He had to take a shit. He had an emergency shit on stage. I've never seen anybody do that before in my life. Maybe Garrett. Toby from H2O, but at least he he uh took the he went over the crowd to get to the bathrooms. Oh, he crowd surfed. He to crowd the surfed to the bathroom. Well, that's hardcore. <laughs> it was very hardcore. This guy was just like, the, get out of my way fast. Yeah, and he's a monster. No one can yeah, I, thank God the bathroom up. was open. I was, I was a little worried about it, and he could have fucking shit himself. That'd have been rough. That was weird. Yeah, it was a that was an interesting one. But, uh, the show itself was great, but the interview was done before. And um, Dan, Dan's a big record collector guy. Well, he claims he isn't, but he is. And uh, uh, he uh, he was really fucking stoned during this interview. And when it was yeah, going was down. Bad. I was like, this interview sucks. Like, <laughs> I was like, this is not going to come out good. I know it. I just, and it took me a while to get to editing. And uh, I listened back to it and I was like, actually, this interview is fucking great. Oh, and cool. yeah, it turned out really good. Uh, I mean, but I think my, my expectations were real fucking low. But uh, it was, it turned out to be much better than I thought and very entertaining. And I'm very happy um, that we got to do it because Dan's a fucking legend and a super interesting oh, guy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, his musical history is incredible. Yeah, yeah, Between totally. What he's seen what's your, what's and your what he's favorite Dan Loker band? Oh God. Um. Jesus Christ. Well, my first was Fistful of Metal. Okay. When it came out, I got that, and that I absolutely love. That's my favorite Anthrax record, actually. Um, I love how in the interview how he so matter matter of factly talks about him and Scott and like. Bayside High School and like yeah, like childhood stuff, <laughs> yeah. like early teen stuff. But you know, that's like you talking about uh, that. That those are his buds he grew up with. It's like me talking about my friends from ninth grade. That's yeah, what I bands with. Except I, his band is legendary, so and our few, bands aren't. I've yeah, exactly. I have so few <laughs> friends that are fucking famous. <laughs> <laughs> Who's fucking texting you, man? I don't know. Let's see. It looks like a picture. This could be good. Uh oh. No, I haven't been getting any of those lately. Uh uh. Yeah. It uh, says unknown. What the fuck does that mean? That's creepy. Message yeah. not found. My phone's from like 1998. Is it so Kanye? Is it Kanye with a, a Kanye. make, it, make it America yeah. great hat? It's Kanye seagaling, but with, with a <laughs> Trump uh, shirt on. Yeah, perfect. You know, that would make sense in this world. <laughs> to- Everything to- makes sense. Totally. <laughs> can't stand this world. Uh, can't stand it. 
fuck. I saw a girl in a Slayer South of Heaven shirt today that looked like she's not even into Lady Gaga. I was so tempted to be like, name one song off that record. But if she would have said she didn't know it, I'd be in jail right now. Oh, I'm dude. Just, I can't I, I, handle it. I, yeah, I don't, I don't get so worked up about it. I, I, don't, I usually I think, care. I think I'm because unhinged lately. Owning, owning this place, what gets me is when I see people who live in this neighborhood still, very few people live in this neighborhood, that uh, who um, are wearing like metal shirts or like metal people, yeah. and I've never seen them before. And, and you I never like, will, unless you see them at like the health food store. Or you know, or like a Gramercy or Irving Plaza show or something. Yeah. You know, like, it's, uh, it, oh, it makes me crazy. I'll just be like, I, how come I've never seen you before? You've never been, you've never, it's right here. Like, I, yeah, I do know. I need to show you the list it's of bands? It's two blocks away. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, yes, you gotta like some of these fucking bands. I know. It's we, like you run the gamut. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Anyway, but yeah, so I thought, uh, I thought we'd talk about, about crossover or maybe thrash or something sure, to that effect. I mean, oh, Loker's favorite records with Loker. Yeah, favorite. Lo- Fistful hey. of Metal. Okay. Um, even though the production sucks, game over. And... I mean, I gotta say, SOD. I mean, that record was. Huge. I mean, oh man, and it's, I remember at the time when SOD when I first heard that record, I was like, "This is so heavy," like yeah. it seemed like it was so fucking heavy, and like and super catchy. It was. It's kind of almost a shame that the songs were joke songs. You know what I mean? Because lyrically, yeah, yeah, because the songs are so fucking catchy. That the songs are incredible. It, yeah, like it, it. It would be so much better, and maybe some, maybe not as legendary if it was taken. Less, I remember more when seriously. it. Um, they were on WMYU. It was either it was called Hellhole before it was Crucial Chaos, and it was the whole band was in the studio, and the record wasn't out yet. No one knew who they were. They just showed up at NYU with the album, and they're like, "It's coming out in a few months. It's a side project." I had the interview on a cassette somewhere at home, so I'm like, "Whenever that was, '84, '85." Right. And they just tell the story of starting the band, meeting the CBs, and they played. I remember they played Pussy Whipped and like maybe Kill Yourself and Speak English or Die, and I was floored. So I was just getting into hardcore, and I was a total underground metal dude. Yeah. And it was like, they just nailed it, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I they did. also created the blueprint for what the hardcore generation didn't want in their scene. But for the metal kids coming in, <laughs> it was the fucking gateway. Well, Speak English or Die is just, you know, I mean, uh, they obviously couldn't get away with that today. No way. The lyrics I, on that record? Yeah. I mean, you could you can say it's a joke all you want. It's like, no, it just doesn't matter. You can right? say it's a joke all you want, but you could also read Billy Milano's I, I, interviews they, for the last They still years. sell those T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, so I see people walking around with SOD shirts that speak yeah. English or die, and I'm like, I, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, I think there's elements of it that were tongue-in-cheek for sure, but oh, I think there's elements of tr- in their truth in it right. that they kind of un- downplay now. Yeah. You know, whatever. I mean, I don't want to be held accountable for when I do it. When I was 19, if I wrote my no, lyrics no, when I was 19, no. would get me institutionalized. No, absolutely, yeah. I the, mean, the, yeah. yeah, I mean, I my, actually my lyrics now would get me institutionalized. Just I was so fucking. I wasn't sheltered because I was going out and doing stuff, but but like on a sort of political view way, I was completely sheltered. And in a, in a, like you know, like when you grow up in a place where there's like one black kid in yeah. your school, you know, and it's like it, it, or. You know, like I mean, Mexicans. No, never, I never even saw one. I worked with them, so that was what you know that that worked out. So, and I met some really amazing people. But the the uh, you know who changed my perspective on on a lot of that. But it's it's interesting, like coming from where we come from. I mean, I grew up in a little white neighborhood, but I wasn't that sheltered as far as other ethnicities or like lifestyles or countercultures. Oh, I was. I knew nothing. I knew nothing of anything. It was like I remember. The, I mean, I knew gay people and I knew minorities and. 
my two closest friends were like peace punk dudes. So like they exposed me to like yeah, world yeah. politics when right. I was like, I mean, you know, we were all best friends, but I mean, I was just a fucking suicidal lunatic who was cutting himself with razor blades. Mm-hmm. Like the, the bonding was being an outcast. Right. But the, the view of the world was completely different. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, mean, I, the, I morphed into that. I, I often, but they were so ahead of me. I often uh, you know, cite Long Island especially as being such a heavily segregated and very, very right-wing um, oh. place. I mean, it, it do, they do swing right uh, voting-wise. Uh, I, I feel like it's changed. But geographically. The geographical segregation is yeah unbelievable. Well, and it's also it's I mean, also maybe there's that's a close, in the whole country, but there's but a fucking closed-mindedness because the generation before, like, even before us or or, or before our, our grandparents' generation, right. they were all struggling to get out of the city to that's go. That's where out, all my relatives came from. And so, so yeah. their their mentality and our parents' mentality w- growing up was that well, I'm not going to the city. That's totally. I go to work there, but I'm not going. You my know, like, grandparents all grew up. Harlem and grew up poor and came to suburbia for the dream. Right. And then I'm born in suburbia and I'm like, I got to get the fuck that's out of exactly, here. That's exactly, yeah. That's guys our age. This that's the, the way it was. the boringest, most cultureless place in the that's world. That's exactly how I felt. I mean, it was, I couldn't have gotten out quicker. Although, I'll say that, but I, I would have stayed at home forever if my. I mean, you know, I've been in Long Island my whole life, but I didn't want to hang out there. I didn't need to live in the city. I just had to be in it. That, that was the separation because right. I found it for the way my mind was wired then. Even well, still, it's like it kept me alive to live in Long Island. If I was in the city or Brooklyn living there, I don't think I'd be alive right now because I was like seeking death kind of. That's so heavy. Like, you that's know, especially woods, in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even through the 90s you, for you me. Probably would have, you probably would have said the wrong thing to the wrong person. And <laughs> yeah, but it was just like a matter of like I was looking for the trouble. Right, Not gotcha. even like yeah. – having a big mouth or being in like I was looking for the trouble and I would have been there for it and I would have been part of it because it's like it's like the only thing that got my dick hard back then right. was like to be that's why when the hardcore scene was violent I was like yeah so what like yeah in theory it sucks but if you expect me to go to that place and listen to them play Depeche Mode all night and just look at that girl in the black dress what, I'm bored to, yeah spit <laughs> spies, spies I'm bored to tears <laughs> I'm like I can't you know there's no danger here. Yeah, no. Like I, at the I, time, that's what I. I hear you. Uh, what, what, you know, what, I didn't my point. Sleep my point being is that it's something. I found them so boring. Oh, I, I did. Was like, oh. Yeah, well, you had a better <laughs> sex life than me. Then. I had none. Oh, well, uh, I had a little. Why bit, would they? It, why would no every? Oh, oh, look! There's that guy singing King Diamond at the top of his lungs, <laughs> drinking drinking Meisterbrow on a on a fucking in a field. I did that, but. <laughs> Yeah, I used to sing Merciful Ooh, Fate. he's so attractive. I used to sing Merciful Fate and Slayer in, like, 10th grade. But I was also, like, eating bugs that girls were scared of me. Yeah, so that'll that do it. that didn't work either. That'll do it. I'm not making tips on And the girls played. that were attracted to you, were, I'm sure, were real interesting. But the, uh, the, um, my point being is that with speaking the Shaddai, and especially where we grew up, I felt like people, like, as much as it was tongue-in-cheek, people did take it literally or took it made it made it their own i don't think i was smart enough to know what was literal and what wasn't and i didn't care enough in a political sense to decipher right my two friends that were peace punks were furious because the song united forces like oh god yeah he says it's on the lyrics he just kill the peace punks yeah which is like a dead term no one uses the term peace punks no it's like anarcho punk or whatever you call it now but um (laughs) <laughs> you know, they were offended because they were they were those people, right? And you know that was the kind of punk. That's so funny. Yeah, let's let's we're, we're a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre of a small group of people. Yeah. Let's fight amongst each other. That sounds great. But <laughs> when you went to 
But to bring it back to then, where, like, you know, people come in here now, and it doesn't matter if you wear a crash shirt, a discharge shirt. Yeah, well, we talked about this actually with, with Dan. Yeah. And, and about the difference between then and now, and how they were uh, things were so separated and so like you you they had were a crazy la- divided you lines. had a fucking label, and the only bands, the bands that would bring it together were sort of these these bands like Nuclear Assault, or uh, they were one of the only ones because they were accepted. Well, Slayer, Slayer's their number kind of one. Universal, yeah. Motorhead too. Yeah, Motorhead. Yeah, exactly. So like they're they're accepted by everybody. But, but those nu- shows nu- were bloodbaths because of it. Oh uh, yeah, mean, I, I, dude, believe me, I know. You know those it, shows. <laughs> it was but, like I don't think people. People who were just like, I don't get it. All the music's heavy and it's all good. It's like there was a time when that was a distant second to what the bands actually stood for and the lifestyle involved with that genre of music. That's right. all gone now. Oh, yeah. And you, know, you have every schmuck in here like wearing a Mayhem shirt and a Joy Division shirt. And it's like those are two different planets, you moron. You know, in your iPod <laughs> generation, it's all the same. Oh, right. Exactly. With the iPod shuffle you know, generation, yeah. I mean, so. And, you know, so the divisions then created real fucking violence. Like, um, I don't welcome back at all, but I did like, like, I don't fully agree with it, but I respect his stance on black metal because he's a, he's a pure guy and what he does is pure to him. And because of that, what you see is what you get. No frills. I don't have to agree with all of it, but you know, he comes from a time where whatever you represented, you lived it. You didn't just talk it. You didn't just rock the button on your jacket. You, you walk that walk and you right. talk that talk. So even if you're different than me. That's why, you know, I mean, I hung out with junkies, and I was fucking pretty much straight edge. But it's like, <laughs> all right, it's cool. Well, you're it's you, self-destructive, I mean, so, I mean, it, it kind of yeah. makes sense. You know, but, I, you know I, there was a real... Uh, yeah, Dan, uh, Dan. Dan's viewpoint on fucking black metal was like... That was one of the things that really surprised me about the, in, the, in the interview. But I mean, he was in Hemlock with my boy Lino, so... <laughs> I, I knew there was a similar mindset. It's just like... Uh, I mean, uh, I like that mindset. It, it's not mine, but I like that it's... I like that some I'm, – I'm a pretty pure guy like that with the things that are sacred to me. So if that's what's sacred to him, I'm glad. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and I'm glad he – Again, in listening back to it, I, I was over the sort of like, huh? <laughs> right. But, but, uh, but, I mean, yeah, what he was saying made complete sense. And it's, it's you know, one thing about him, you know, both musically and on a per, like his personality and his music are pretty similar. He's just a purist. And he's yeah. – exactly. You know, we, like he's great at, at – doing certain things really well and it's you know the i mean kudos to him is fucking great but one of the things i wanted to so i just this just came up on my phone and i thought it'd be interesting to go through it the uh um this is a, one of those stupid like top 10 whatever this is oh, so this, going off this one is is thrash songs before thrash was a genre like pre-thrash yeah. like creating like, the template like proto thrash yeah okay what right, do we so got queen sheer heart attack that works yeah definitely mm-hmm. I can I can I can kind of live with that. That was actually number one. Number two, Exciter, Judas Priest. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. no base on that too. Yeah. Oh, there is. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's off Stained Class, which is a fucking great record. So you can't really awesome go record. too wrong. Uh, I have a lot of weird memories of that record. Man. This one's pretty obvious to me. Motorhead, Overkill. Oh, that's I think the literal blueprint. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you just speed up the riffs and. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was Metallica's blueprint. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, definitely. All right, let's see. And I think the whole new wave of British metal that morphed into thrash, I think it was yeah. the big template for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was, they did the best job of morphing punk and, and, uh, and metal together, whatever. It, and incredibly, they were even able to do it crowd-wise, not just music. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. Is, at that time seemed literally impossible. 
Motor, Motorhead Universal. Motorhead and Slayer. There you go. Yeah. We said it before. Saxon, Heavy Metal Thunder. That's interesting. I wouldn't have put so, that on there, but... Yeah, and I wouldn't have either. But, yeah. uh... I don't know. I don't know if I would have put that on. It's a good tune, but... Are there other Priest songs that are just as heavy and fast, I think? What's the song? Hero's End? That's on, uh... It's not fast, but it's fucking... The riff is so heavy. I'm trying... I mean, riff-wise, you get more of, like, what morphed into, like, the Merciful Fate kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Crunchier, not necessarily the speed. I mean, Merciful Fate had, like, 20 incredible riffs in one song. Well, yeah, they they had an album's worth of riffs. Yeah. Imagine if we could have wrote eight records instead of two and a half. But they instead, like, made the most insane songs ever written. They were, well... I listen to Satan's Fall, and I'm like, what the... How do you even create this? Oh, it's, it's a prog rock song. Yeah, there's all there's there's transitions, there's everything. It's, it's like fucking madness. It's like so deep I, I wonder if Merciful Fate's going to be on this list because Merciful Fate was what is what the first record is eighty two. The EP is eighty two. Eighty two. Yeah. Melissa's eighty three. So that's when what's Kill 'Em All? Uh, Kill 'Em All was like eighty summer of eighty three. Is it okay? Or fall of eighty three? I know things started moving quickly after definitely after that. Uh, Venom Witching Hour. De- one million percent. Yeah. Okay. Including probably like the early Slayer riffing comes from that. Oh, true. Yeah, I'm not like, you, you know, I'm not the biggest Venom fan in the world until we interviewed Mantis and, and I was he like, was awesome. I love this guy. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> he, was, he was one of the one of the fucking coolest people ever. He was awesome. Uh, a, a ban- another band that's played here, Raven, Wiped Out. No, Raven that's the album, really Faster Than the Speed of Light, sorry. So that's Bands like Raven and Exciter were like that in between between like heavy metal and what became thrash. Yeah. Like that tempo that's not quite thrash, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. This is hmm, Iron Maiden Invaders. It's probably their fastest song, but I don't know if it's... I, like, it's, I don't see that at all. Like Maiden is like the... They they went the power metal way. Yeah, the it's melodies, it's just... Yeah, there's a lot of fast runs in it, but it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not a tempo that's fast. Yeah. I mean, the, the drums are fast, but not. I don't know. I don't I'm think gonna, anyone. I'm gonna say no. I don't no. think anyone heard Invaders was like, I'm gonna start a band and put out records that sound like, you know, Shona Mercy. No. You know. No, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but you could like both at the same time. So, well, this one's a big one. Remember I, the Alex Kane interview that we did that never yeah. that didn't come out. He mentioned this song changing a lot of people when he was DJing at Lemoore's in the early 80s is ex- uh, Fast as a Shark by that's Accept. That's the song, I think, is, as, along with Motorhead, I think that's the proto-thrash song. Mm, okay. Double bass to the whole thing. Yeah. Harsh vocals. It came out in 82, so, I mean, Metallica could have very well been, you know, doing oh, their Motorhead sure. rip-offs already. They were. I think that's, right? that song is fast, double bass to the whole thing. The vocals are really harsh. The tempo's fast the whole time. I definitely think that in Motorhead is the real template. Yeah. And then and you take the other side, you add, like, the Venom. That's the trifecta to me that created Thrash. The other bands work and, like, I'm sure were influences, but I don't think they were, like, really, like, Fast as Shark is it. You just yeah. take Fast as Shark and you just keep trying to do that tempo faster. The right. whole song. Right, know? exactly. Crocus Headhunter. Are you kidding? <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's this, the logic in that? I mean, list, it's a cool tune. This list is getting, get, they're getting, oh, uh, Exciter. So there you go. The band. Heavy Metal Maniac, yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the other one for me. Yeah, I mean, that's, Crocus? Crocus. Crocus Headhunter. I'm glad I mentioned Exciter. I can't even, I can't, I can't, I can't 
think of that song, Headhunter? It's, I don't know, man. That's pushing it. Yeah, I don't know. That was a Loudwire article. I don't know. That's that's a little weird. Yeah, uh, but I mean, all those lists are fucking. You know, you just kind of. I didn't even do that top ten. Thank God, no one asked me. I wouldn't have done it anyway. Probably. (laughs) I can't make a top ten. Oh, I mean, yeah, I I did it. I did it, and it was like, yeah, and I I was gonna make like a top thirty because. Well, that's the thing. I couldn't do it in ten. I was gonna do ten punk, ten metal, ten hardcore, ten rock. But I was like, I mean, I have half a life. I got other things to do. Yeah, I mean, I definitely. uh, It it didn't take long. I I kind of knew. I mean, I know the record okay. changed me. That's easy. I just go in the order of my brain. Like, right. all right, Master Reality. Then, I mean, if you start at the beginning, like, I guess like a Beatles or a Zeppelin. Right, yeah. I, I, did, I did the Beatles Red and Blue albums. Yeah, that, see, that works. That's like my childhood. Like, real. Actually, there was like, there, could, there must have been five greatest hits on my, on my list. Because it's just like, because that's really, like Black Sabbath's greatest hits was like, that's what I listened to. Yeah. Yeah. Master yeah. Reality's first Yes one songs by Yes. Yes songs is basically a live greatest hits. Up when they were when the records were coming out, so right. So that's yeah. what that's what usually was available. The first thing that you saw yeah. was going to be a greatest hits. And and in all honesty, you know, it, it when you're young and impressionable, you kind of you're not going to take the time necessarily to listen t- deeply. So you want to just get the hits. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, you're trying to like catch up, and you're just getting exposed. Right. So it's easy. I mean, you know, it's like Beatles, Zeppelin, into. Sabbath into Merciful Fate into Slayer Fate, into Agnostic yeah. Front and Chromags yeah. and and then it's like you know 500 hardcore seven inches most people haven't heard of and like 200 metal demos and I did a Bo- I did a Bowie whatever. record and a Suede record because that's just you did what Suede who <laughs> Suede <laughs> yeah I, I didn't put an Oasis record because I couldn't I, I because my favorite Oasis record is basically like my putting together of one record from songs yeah. from all their records and B sides. Although they, they, you know what they did, and uh, I won't talk about Oasis anymore because we were we were on metal, which was good. I, mean, I won't I won't fall off. The, yeah, um, you falter. They did. Uh, they the British public voted for the top 100 British songs ever. Right. And there were Live Forever was number one, right? That like, but there were 15 Oasis songs on the list, and I'd say eight are of them were B sides. Wow. Yeah, B sides. Wow. Like that's. that's- f- Maybe not eight, but it was like there was a lot of B sides. I was like, "That's a B side. That's B side. That's B side." Like, what the fuck? But it's it's a different, you know. Again, even in the nineties, it was a different culture where you were getting you'd get they put singles out and they do B sides and that like and the B sides in the in the UK it was all of mine are all of mine are polyethylene yeah parts one and two the fucking song is incredible yeah so like in that time frame I guess it makes but they had to that was the whole thing is like that was part of the deal because they. The, the, they were selling singles and actually making money. Yeah. So if the singles were strong, that's why they did the part one and part two, the right. two CDs. They'd have like six B-sides they'd have to write. Yeah. Or maybe they'd throw a cover in there or something. But, but particularly like bands like Radiohead and Blur and they weren't Oasis, tracks, they the were point. not throwaway tracks. Yeah. And they were like, they were strong record EPs in themselves. Right, exactly. And like that was like... But they weren't looked at as EPs. You, you got to be a fucking creative force <laughs> to be able to put yeah. that much good material out. You know, it's like, it's a... Uh, or just have really bad judgment. But it's judgment. really interesting that that got recognized <laughs> because, you know, you, even you, if you write... You would think... You, yeah, you would think you that... They would the, just get lost. Right. You, well, you would think that the, the general public wouldn't get that. Yeah. But Although they, Oasis there is probably so sacred that... Exactly, yeah. Every, you know, every it, time... It's part, of, it's part of the culture. So yeah, it's, you know, exactly. like whatever, for better or for worse. But the... Uh, anyway, back to Thrash. Um, <laughs> yeah. From Oasis to what? Onslaught? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where does Onslaught fit in that... That list. Uh, Neil Turp. Oh, that list. I was saying. 
Local <laughs> connection. I was going to call Neil Turbin. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, like, their, what, what was the name? Their first record came out in, is it, are they? Oxlade? Power yeah, from Hell? Like, it's 84, isn't it? No, 85. 85. I have the original demo. It's funny how, like, like back, when you look at the that time in the 80s, like, like what you were saying is, like, summer of 83 actually made a difference from early The music was changing so fast, yeah. for sure. Like, even Onslaught, like, I have, I mean, this is crazy, actually. I have the original Onslaught demo, and they were still kind of punk on that. Yeah. It was on Peaceful. Peaceful was only a tape label, and they weren't even a real label, because it was, like, strictly punk rock. And then the album came out, and then uh, they were starting to go metal. And it, but I liked all that stuff, like Sacrilege and Onslaught. There was this crossover Well, happening. Onslaught, Steve Grimmett sang on... Yeah, that uh, was way later. That's late 80s, right? That's, like, later 80s. Yeah. yeah. This is when they were, like, kind of... By like the way, we got, a, we got an email about, about Grim Reaper playing here, which I thought Coming was... Coming back? Yeah. Doesn't he have, like, no leg? Yeah, I thought he was like Like, he lost, like, half one his leg. Or just oh, one. Yeah, just one. Okay, good. Yeah. I, but, so they play. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it got confirmed, but... Um, they were great last time. Oh, they were fucking fantastic. They were so fucking but the good. Best, the funniest part of it is Steve Grimmett fell off the stage. Like, he was walking down the steps off the stage after <laughs> sound check, and he fucking... Oh, face, sound check. He face-planted. And now he doesn't you have a leg. You told me that. Yeah. Because I remember you and that. <laughs> That's People listening are like, who the fuck is Steve Grimmett? The fuck are you guys talking about? If they listen to Nuclear Assault, they should know. Uh, Reaper, you poses. I, you know, Ron, I think people listen to this but just to hear us. I don't yeah, think they're worried it. about who we're interviewing. They want to hear about my mental problems <laughs> and your opinions on Oasis B-sides. That's definitely why they're here. Not for Loker. No, no, definitely not. Man. But if they want my life, I, I'll give them a lot of entertainment. Yeah, uh, well, you know. That's At my own expense. <laughs> My whole life's been at everyone else's expense, so I might as well just spread it to the oh, airwaves. Jesus Christ. Seen any good shows lately? Sure. Um, I'm going to one tonight. Where are you going? I'm going to the debut of Coney Island Baby. Oh, the Murphy's it's Law It's Murphy's show. Law and um, the surprise guest, which is uh, HR, apparently. Oh, cool. Well, good. This it's isn't like, coming you know, out right it's now. It's got the, the colors. Yeah. <laughs> it's like green and red. And if the green thing's playing, I'm like, well, it's not Bob Marley, man. Figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Obviously fucking... See, I don't, I don't think it's Bad Brains. I think it's HR. But that's cool. And um, I've been to shows. I saw Watane a few weeks ago. Saw Cro-Mags. Watane was good. Cro-Mags were great. Um, Watane, a band that's been dealing with uh, some... Yeah, there was no drama at that show. Drama. Every, every, every day there's a new Metal Sucks article about yeah. <laughs> somebody being a Nazi. God totally. damn, stop being Nazis. Yeah, it's getting tired. <laughs> Stop pretending you're a Nazi if you're not. Goddamn fucking Nazi. Yeah, least, at least be real. <laughs> yeah, either be one or don't and stop the bullshit. So everyone can just live a normal life. Well, um, that, that shit with the dude from Inquisition was fucked up. Like, like I, I didn't really understand the story. It was like he got cleared, but he had to give a plea bargain. He's he, legally cleared, but I guess he... He, like, I don't know. He, yeah, I don't, like I don't he had know. some nudies of underage... Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's... I don't know. But I yeah, Watain, there was no incidents. That was cool. Chromax was great. I saw, um, oh, I saw Ministry last week. Unless, unless you're friends, Facebook friends with Paris, then, uh, no. <laughs> Rick to life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. God I, I just became Facebook friends with Paris, and he, he, he posts, like, constantly. That and is. Yeah, and he, uh, Paris is the original guitar player for uh, the Chromax. And, uh, he's probably not even the original guitar player. There's probably somebody before him. I don't know. But, um, no, he's probably he's the original, right? Well, he's original as far as all the writing of anything. Right, you know. like the like classic Age of Quarrel, and yeah. Um, Doug came later. Yeah, they they had like a million people in the band before 
Well, the early lineup seems to be. I mean, they don't even agree on it. So right, yeah, yeah. Who, who could help? How about yeah. what can I say? Those guys are. Those guys are funny. Um, They're funny. <laughs> they. Uh, yeah, but they Par- don't get along. Yeah, yeah. Paris. When, when, Par- when Paris along. writes about like the songs, the songwriting, and John, God, John Joseph, it's fucking brutal. It's just like he rips on John so hard. Oh uh, yeah. I listened to the demo on, this morning on the way here, and uh, he rips on him on that. I mean. I'm biased. That's one of my favorite records of all time. It's a lot of people's who are into yeah. hardcore's favorite records of all time. And it yeah, also, it's like, I mean, you know, it's such a go-to for when my mental state is toxic. Well, it's, I mean, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's, I can listen it's, to I that I think record. it's pretty obvious that those guys have pretty toxic mental states, <laughs> at least back then. Well, you know, hard lives, hard times. Totally, blah, totally. Blah, blah. You know, they're, they were the real deal. Yeah, That's and no you know, it, it's a, you feel it in the music, and you feel you see it in the lyrics, and you see it when you see them. It's still, like, there. It's it's hardcore before hardcore got suburban. I, yeah, you know? I can't yeah. relate to people that play hardcore and act aggro for 30 minutes, and they don't really even have that in them. It's like they're acting. Because it was so visceral for me. It still is. I mean, I, I, I can't help it. I mean... It's, an, it's interesting. Like, with the modern-day hardcore band, like, Incendiary is a good example. Like, those guys all... And they're super popular now. And, yeah. And they're awesome. They're they, really good. They, they, all, they all have, like, fucking regular jobs that's why they don't tour you know yeah. it's like i never like, knew people like that in so hardcore. i know they're so like balanced I was impressed and when my hardcore friends like graduated high school i was like, wow the, you got your well, shit we, together us growing up we had like brian zoid and like yeah <laughs> like, well i came even before that derek i remember like, brian zoid was like a geeky little kid it's, but it's, like yeah i don't know i mean i mean I, I guess i'm comparing it to my own life as a hardcore kid and just the people i was around that Everybody it I seemed knew like was, a sick accomplishment everybody when my friends I knew got out of high up. school and got a job for one like six bucks an hour. Because <laughs> I didn't have a death wish the whole time, but I also didn't have a, a life plan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was, and, you know, it wasn't career I still don't have a life plan. goals then were like to play CBs and put out a seven inch. And now these people are like, I'm in my third year of college and I'm going to try and do the band on the side, but my wife's having a kid. And I'm like, wow. This is a different hardcore than the I know, one you I know. know. It's, not, it's not even good or bad. It's yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Insanely different. I mean, I I don't like. I look back at my life sometimes, and I think about how I took things like music and stuff way too seriously. And but you were trying to do it for a career. So pigeonhole myself. Really. Yeah, not really. I mean, I. It, it depends. It, in I mean, all honesty, it did that that whole thing didn't come about till much later. And, right. And. And honestly, like, I think I sought it out for about three months, <laughs> and got it, and it was, you know, it was fun. But the the uh, the the whole thing is is like it just, I don't know. There was a bleakness to your view on life that was reflected in the music, and and I. But I, I often think about it. It's like all the time and effort and money that was put in, and it's like you know, like. It's like, man, what the fuck was I doing? I could have fucking, like, with all that time, I could have fucking been a doctor. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't want to be a doctor. <laughs> no, you of course. Your head I, off. Of course I didn't. No, I mean, I would love to be now, but like. I mean, the, I wish I could have married the two and been like, hey, I'm going to be this maniac, but I'm also going to be a garbage man. Like, I could have gotten yeah. into sanitation and been like, oh, I could have like a 401k and Pete benefits. Steel, Pete Steele style? Yeah, like, you know, but I, you know, I didn't. To say I, the did, least. I, I just read this interview uh, that was done by one of the former members of. Uh, of typo and he was talking about how pete Steele was working as a garbage man up until i think even bloody kisses came out or yeah, something he was. yeah it's that's like, when he that's when they got big enough that he justified quitting it right yeah because yeah. he didn't like to leave he didn't want to leave bay ridge i think uh yeah well he's kind of like i don't think he wanted a tour particularly and that was his like 
I think you had a, more of a long-term vision, I guess, of like, hey, this is this is security and. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, and more power to him, obviously. You know. I mean, it's intelligent if you can blend the two, but I, you know what it is? The hardcore scene that I grew up in, I had no. For lack of a better term, and I'm speaking for almost everyone I knew, they didn't plan on wives or kids or jobs or careers. They didn't think that far ahead. They didn't have a long-term view on anything, and they were just stuck in the moment and living in that moment. And uh, that's why it was so visceral and real, because right. it was everything yeah. to those people and to me even. you know, I didn't. I mean, I really didn't think I was going to be alive past 25, so I was like, well, well what difference does a fucking man? I didn't think I would make it past 30. So. I yeah. never thought I'd be alive past 25. And I'm glad I'm here, but I mean, you know, I would have came up with a better plan, you know? I mean, now yeah. I'm like, now I've got all these really cool plans, and one thing at a time, like, a lot of stuff is happening. But it's like slow motion. I'm turning nickels into dimes and trying to turn that into quarters. It's not like some, yeah, well, you know, it's not some bullshit thing where it's like, oh, you're just going to do this, and you're going to be set for life. I don't like that mindset anyway. Like, you know, like right now I'm completely half crazy and half depressed, but this is when I'm functional. This is when I'm wired. This is when I'm productive. I've come to this sad realization that this is the mindset since I was a hardcore kid that makes me get up and live and fight for shit. Because when life is sedate and complacent, I just kind of roll with it. So it's like I have to wake up with my mindset being like a negative approach seven inch because that's that fire is what creates my life and my um my drive yeah. still oh, yeah, I, I mean you. I can listen to Velvet Underground and fucking cuddle with some bitch but I'm not gonna like <laughs> beep what <laughs> oops <laughs> sorry I've done that with a lot of girls and they're not bitches I'm actually the dick but you know what I'm saying I understand god damn don't get PC on me <laughs> and um you know what I mean? It's like, that's beautiful. But every time I tried to do that, it didn't work. And it didn't help my uh, personal success. It's like, it's not the flame for me. Gotcha. You're right. You I, I hear you. I hear and, you know, I, I just had that blow up in my face again. I tried harder than ever. And boom. So, you know what? Fuck, that route doesn't work for me, man. Oh. So, you know, I'm going to try and not... Die of something crazy and deep thoughts with Ron Grimaldi. <laughs> yeah, real deep. <laughs> Dark. No, but I, I hear what you're saying, and, and you know, you know, it's funny. Like when you mentioned negative pro- negative approach, I felt like I felt like looking at those guys is like those guys are like they're they're like that too. You know, like that, oh, and they're God. still like they're that mentality that like when they were on stage, on even at their age. Sing? Yeah, it's like that. This is what they know. This is how they know how to express whatever it's it what is that they're is, feeling. You know? I yeah. feel that way. I, yo, I did. I, two weeks ago, Killer Isles played. I did one song with them, and I fucking—I didn't even mean to. But well, what'd you break? No, I bled. I've still got a fucked up gash on my leg. Did was it a bazaar? Yeah, two weeks ago, I got a. Fucking oh Jesus, that's gross. Yeah, that's two weeks ago though. I mean, it was worse then. And I fucking apparently like busted my friend in the jaw really hard. Like, you know, I don't know. It's not. That's my place. You know, that's my place to get it out. So then, when I'm in the street and I'm in life. I'm zen. And that's how CB's was for me every Sunday or whatever show it was or if my band played. I'm going to get this all out here and then I'm going to be a civilized person and I'm going to be peaceful and as loving as I can be. But if I can't do that every Sunday, I'm going to be a time bomb. I still feel that way. It's like, I mean, maybe that's unfortunate or maybe that means I'm still alive and I haven't deadened myself with like fucking friends on Netflix or whatever the fuck people do every night. Dr. Phil. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. I mean, you know. (laughs) 
You'd be awesome on Dr. Phil. <laughs> oh, God. Got my right in for you. So, <laughs> you need to get your laugh together. I would, I would verbally and physically rape him. <laughs> I hate that guy. I hate, his, I hate his whole existence. His accent, his face, <laughs> everything. Oh, fuck him. I'm still back on the verbally and physically raping him. Uh, yeah. I'm not really attracted to him, anyway. so I don't think I physically rape him. Maybe in that Iron Sheik way. Oh, dude, like I watched the Andre the Giant documentary. Make you humble thing. Have you seen the Andre the Giant documentary? I watched half the Andre the Giant documentary, and then I got laid. Ah, oh, sick. Yeah, that yeah. was cool. But the half I saw was I watched was the good. whole thing. I didn't, didn't get laid. Then I woke up. <laughs> it's a long story. And then I woke up, and he was dead. And Who, I was the guy like, you just had sex with? No, no. Uh, that girl was alive, thankfully. Oh, it. <laughs> you know, in most ways, thankfully. Yeah, then, um, I mean, it's, uh, I, I cried. <laughs> I cried. Well, it was. It looked like. So yeah, I fell out for a few minutes. I woke up, and uh, he was. Uh, he was gone. He had just died. And I heard Hogan's man's crying. voice, and I looked over the girl's shoulder who was sleeping, and I'm like, "This is horrible." I was like, "I'm just gonna go to bed." So I went to bed, and I didn't watch the rest. And now I don't have any access to that HBO. Yeah. Because that was at her house. So uh, I have no access. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know if I'll ever see the rest, but the half I saw was good. It was I got up to like the Hulk Hogan era, the Hulkamania era, and him passing the torch. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that's a really good story. Yeah, and it was very. Um, you know, if, if you're not a huge wrestling fan, you probably don't realize, but I mean, that was a huge thing that he did for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was like a, an incredible passing of the torch from someone who didn't have to do it, and you know, agreed and handpicked a person that, you know, that's a that's an it's beyond an honor, you know? Yeah, it's a. Uh, I like the way they handled just talking about, you know, not saying that it's fake, but just talking about how it's a show. You know, and like they, yeah. they're backstage playing cards with each other. And, all right, so how's the fight going to go? All right, we'll do this, we'll do yeah. that. And, like, like, I never realized that, like, Hulk, Hulk had written out that entire match word for word. That was the last part I saw. It's, it was like, and they did everything except... But he said Andre wasn't saying yes. He was just like, yeah, don't worry about no, it. Yeah, don't worry about it. He didn't tell him what he was going to do the whole time. And, and, yeah, at the very end, he said, uh, he was like, slam, leg drop. So he gave him <laughs> And he moves. thought, yeah, and he thought, he thought Andre was going to get up. And oh, and after the slam. And yeah, the leg but drop? apparently fucking, like, I guess that match was, walk was that yeah, he was like. He was fucked. You know, poor guy with that fucking disease. But, I mean, it, you know. He seemed like he was. He seemed like he'd be fun to hang, fun to hang out with. A case of wine a day. Didn't he drink twenty bottles of wine? They said. Yeah, yeah. That was. I think they were saying that was during Princess Bride. Oh God. He was like, and, and they, they were like, they had. He was. He couldn't fit on a horse, so they had to use these wires. And he was like, drunk on top of the horse, going hi. <laughs> and Rob Reiner tells the story great. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's a. It was really good. I was. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd like to see the rest of that. I'll have to find somewhere to find that. I was happy I got the opportunity to, uh, to watch it. But, uh, yeah, on that note, everybody, we'd like to bring you our wonderful interview. Yeah, this is Dan Loker. With Mr. Dan Loker. And uh, check out everything he's ever done. It'll take you a while, but uh, he's got an amazing discography in many, many bands. Yes, and if you're listening to this on iTunes, leave us a review. Or, uh, uh, we're on iTunes? Yeah, or email us and tell what us the, the, the tricks. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, What's SoundCloud. Stitcher? Stitcher's uh, an app right, that, that's that. strictly, it's like the Spotify of, of uh, podcasts, even though Spotify does podcasts as well, which we're not on yet, because I don't know how to, I haven't figured out how to do it yet. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. You're ahead of me, because I don't know what half those words were. Yeah, it's cool. 
Just listen to us and shut the fuck up. Yeah, and, uh, and, and listen to my Gimme Radio show, which is every Thursday at 11 a.m. Uh, oh, yeah, I have a Gimme Radio show. Yeah. Soon. Maybe. Soon. Hopefully. <laughs> as soon as he figures out the microphone. Yeah, that's um, just fucking hard. <laughs> Uh, and uh, go check out www.stvitusbar.com uh, for all the upcoming shows. And uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. God, and, uh, we fucked up the beginning. Sounds like fuck somebody up. fucked up. I didn't fuck up anything. The uh, the fucking shit. It just malfunctioned. It wasn't plugged in, and it said it had ninety percent battery, and then it just turned off. At ninety percent. Yeah. What's it at now? Uh, it's plugged in, so I don't. So, oh, so we're golden. Yeah. It's on a hundred. It's yeah. It's on. It's on. Uber, Uber. Look, it's recording. Hey! See that yeah, waveform? Yep, there you go. That's it. That's We're what, live. That's what music is now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a bunch of Just a waveform. Yep, exactly. Mr. Dan Loker. How's it going? Good, man. How, How are man? you? I'm, uh, it's nice to be back in my old stomping grounds. Yeah? the last time you were here? Uh, well, I was here less than a month ago to see my mom. But, you know, then it wasn't a metal event. It was just... Just family? Yeah, just, you know... I haven't been back to where I grew up in years and years. The house I grew up in got uh, bought out and probably got turned into a McMansion, so I don't even want to go back and see what that would have been like. So you grew up in Bayside, right? Yes, I did. Did you go to Bayside High School? Yes, I did. That's where I met Scott Rosenfeld and formed (laughs) Anthrax. Was that 82? Well, 82 is the year I graduated. Yeah, 81, 82. And, uh, wow. Yeah, we had Scott's 50th birthday party here, actually. Nice. Yeah. And two Anthrax shows, which was kind of torture, honestly. But, you know. Well, I mean, it depends on your personal taste, I guess. <laughs> no, he didn't mean musical. He meant... I mean, <laughs> oh, he meant it was kind of like, uh, what's it called? A lot Putting of high, the big band in the small maintenance, room. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The stress of the event, not the actual music. Well, they, they decided that they wanted to do a fucking midnight show. At, they played on Friday night, and then they, they were like, hey, we, we're going to play a midnight show after your regular show. But, of course, they couldn't just show up. They had to have their own board, their own, literally their own, like, sound area. So it was, it was a bit of a, you know. Yeah, you're not going to worry about that with us. It's yeah, you guys are pretty easy. Low maintenance. Don't give a shit. <laughs> as long as it sounds good. As it should be. Yeah. Fucking punk rock, man. Well, I, feel like, I feel like you've been, it's odd. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, like, you've uh, you know, not I don't know you. You don't know me from a hole in the head, but I feel like you've been part of my life for so long. It's really fucking That's weird. Kind of touching. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's. But it's odd when I think of my, my some of my favorite memories of like I, I grew up on Long Island, so I'd go to Sundance all the time. And oh yeah, we called it the Sunrise because you went on so late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John and I were actually talking about that. He's like, "What time we got to go on?" Yeah. And I was like, "Is that why you were always so drunk?" Fucking Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Well, those were late nights. Yeah. Lamore was no better. I mean. Yeah, but that was a 25-minute drive home. Yeah. Yeah. Those were, um, I mean, I have the same thing with him. I mean, I became friendly with you years later, but uh, there's certain people that you grew up with those records so much that you feel like you almost know them before you know them. Well, I mean, uh, that's cool. That's always, you know, I'm always honored by shit like that. You know, I don't, I've done a lot of stuff, but I don't let it go to my head. I don't think I'm better than nobody else. I'm, I consider myself lucky. I've been able to play metal for as long as I have and that people still give a shit. And uh, I realized I couldn't do it without people like that. So I'm always just like, yeah, cool. And pretty extreme metal before anybody really gave a shit about it, you know? Well, you know, I've always played exactly what I've wanted to play, regardless of whether it was a good career move or any shit like that. You know, going from nuclear assault to brutal truth wasn't exactly going to, uh, you know, 
win me a Grammy or <laughs> get me in the Hall of Fame or whatever, but yeah. that's not why I do shit. No, you stay true to yourself. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's great. Sorry, I'll, I'll keep adjusting volumes. It's just no worries. I, my, I forgot my headphones, so I don't know if anything sounds good or not. I'm sure it sounds fine. Um, no, it's cool. I remember. I remember you always. There were the amount of times that I, I don't know. I could be crazy, but like you would come out and guest with bands. Well, I'm friends with a lot of bands from all over the place, and if you mean especially at the Sundance, yeah, I think I did like Dark Angel, Sepultura, Sacred Reich, a few bands like that. I, I was there for every single yeah, one. It we almost got to the point where we'd be like, "Yeah, we're going to bring a guest on stage, Stan Loker." <laughs> I know. I was starting to wear There's no out element my of surprise. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, regulars. I didn't want to uh, be like, "Oh, it's that fucking dude again." You know? <laughs> no, but it was cool. I mean, it could, you know, it was always I was always asked. And I'd always be wasted on the couch backstage. You'd go, oh, yeah, let me think. Oh, yeah, I could play that. Well, they were your friends <laughs> and your peers, and they're coming yeah. through on tour. It's a natural thing. like, yeah, why not? Have a little fun. Yeah, that's killer. So you, what was up with the book that came out, which I have to get my hands on? Perpetual Conversion. Yeah. Well, the reason the book came about is because I have a lot of memories from all the stuff I did, but I could never remember all that stuff myself. Ice <laughs> of evil. Um, so this dude that was doing merch for us in Europe, Dave from Chicago, we had a day off in Spain with Brutal Truth, and we were just driving across, you know, sun-drenched mountains and kind of bored and maybe smoking a little weed, possibly. And I was just talking about funny stories from the 80s. And people were laughing, and somebody said, man... You should write a book, dude. And I'm like, I could never do that because I couldn't remember all that stuff. And Dave, the merch dude, jumped up, which if it's possible to do that in a van, and <laughs> said, uh, I'll do it because he'd also been a journalist. He'd written for a zine called Punk Planet in Chicago. So he had a background in journalism, just, you know, interviews and kind of articles. But for him to take this on was a whole nother level of stuff and... He, the way it came about is before we even found a publisher or anything, we just took it on and he came out to Rochester a bunch of times. So we went, did a whole bunch of interviews, went through all my old shit, which made great memory prods, tour posters, laminates, tour books, stuff like that. And then he just reached out to a whole bunch of my peers and other people, even like my mom. It's got to be the only book that has my mom and Fenris in the same book. <laughs> So, I would imagine, yeah. It'll probably be the only book ever with your yeah. mom and <laughs> Right, and that's how it should be. Definitely. That's amazing. And, no, the book's great. It's really thanks. great. Yeah, we went through a couple of publishers, you know, kind of, it's almost like trying to get signed. There was a couple of false starts, but right. then... Uh, it was delayed for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, well, like I said, there were some false starts, but Ian Christie from Bazillion Points yeah. rescued us and picked it up. Good guy. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. People say they like the book. It's just my honest memories of what went on. And for people who like extreme metal, um, it's a cool book, I guess. It's hard for me to talk about it. What's your favorite story in it? Uh, I've gotten a lot of good compliments about the one where I was... We were on tour with Dark Angel, and there was a chick on one of the buses who was getting slightly taken advantage of by some of the road crew, and I walked on the bus and saw this naked drunk chick and looked at Gene and said that's not cool you know and uh, 
I mean, don't get me wrong, but when I was a single man, you know, of course, I met a few chicks back in the day, but it was all, it wasn't like that. It was consensual. It was consensual. Yeah. It wasn't like some drunk chick that a bunch of dudes are, like, taking advantage of. Right. So I uh, told him, I don't think this is what this is supposed to be about. And he told me later that meant a lot to him. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could end up, like, decapitated. You know? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, oh, right. these days. Clear, I mean, I back, in, back in those days, I don't think... Uh, that was. I mean, it wasn't nearly as common, you know. It, it was a different time. That's sort of like. I don't know if people were as uptight about it, and I think it was in the metal scene. Some of that stuff was just. Yeah, it was, I mean, in, in the especially in the extreme scene, was there a lot of that? It, no, it, because we didn't get that many girls. Right. It was. Yeah. There's like ten girls at the show. Yeah. If it was that, all the hair metal, pose metal. That's where all the girls were. Yeah. And that mentality, I think, existed more in that. Yeah. Just like yeah. Um, you know, me and my friends didn't think like that. You know? No, well, I mean, I no, couldn't pay to get laid. No, but like seventeen-year-old kids who are on their first European tour and totally, yeah, uh, ready to get, rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with the way that they were a lot looser about sex on, in Europe than here. Well, they're just not looser about everything. Yeah, it's yeah. more progressive. Yep, that's cool. Like, so what? What was uh? So what was your first? What was your first major tour that you did? With who? Did you tour with Anthrax during Fistful of Metal? No. You I didn't, never toured right? with yeah. Anthrax. I hardly even played out of town with them. I guess Nuclear Assault, when we first started going out, I guess when we made it to the West Coast, uh, we did some shows with Game Fan. Over Tour, I guess? Uh, yeah, around then. Did you get out before that or after the album? After the album, most. Oh, no, we did some shows before that, but we never went too far. I think it was when the record came out that we actually made it to the West Coast. And that would have been... Late 86, early 87, after Game Over came out. We made it to Europe for the first time after The Plague came out in May of 87. So, yeah. Right? Am I missing anything? Fact John's check here. with John Connolly. I thought we did Europe. Yeah, we did Europe before The Plague, but no, I think you're right. Of course I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so to backpedal a little bit, uh, going back to Anthrax and uh, Fistful of Metal era, um... You said you were mostly a local band at the time. Put the first record out. Um, Neil Turbin was on vocals then. Uh, Neil Turbin, actually, who played here, by the way. Yes, he played with Onslaught, which was, was as he, much he, of an abortion as you'd imagine. Did he have the iPad? Yes, yes. he did. Yes. Did oh, you any photos? Might as well just released, no, no, I, they played in Rochester, too. Oh, you did. I did not go to that show because there was an ice storm that night, and I had no great desire to go hang out with Neil Turbin anyway. But I imagine that was... <laughs> case. But I heard about the iPad. Uh, it, um, to say he was ill-prepared would be an understatement. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it was funny. And uh, I think two weeks later is when we had uh, Scott's 50th birthday here. And I, I actually have a copy of Fistful Metal, which I want you to sign, sure. um, behind the bar, signed by Scott and Neil. Which, I was, I was, I was like, come on, man, this is, I gotta be one of the few people in the world who has, who has Neil's And I had to get that autograph from him. He wasn't here, and Neil Turbo was, he's so far off the stage for so long, he's awkward on stage, naturally. And then he's reading off an iPad, and there was no chemistry with the band. I mean, he was, you know, on slow power. So you didn't, you didn't like him either. Songs. Well, it was more like we didn't, we're just completely different people. His idea of what professional was was not, you know, what my idea was. And I don't have a big idea of being professional. It's just having your shit together with good songs but it wasn't, like, image-based. Well, I think it, it speaks way. volumes that he hasn't done anything in 34 years. Well, the thing is, even if he is doing something like his Death Riders, he still 
dwelling on the past instead yeah. of just yeah. doing what I did, which was just forging ahead yeah. and doing something else. But I don't know. That's more for do you. you look guys back, to how do you look back? How do you feel about that record, though, looking back? It's my favorite Anthrax record, actually. I'm proud of that record. I mean, I, I wrote most of it. And people have told me, and I always give them shit, like, oh, you're just saying that because you're standing in front of me. But people have said, yeah, that's my favorite record. They yeah. totally changed after that. I'm like, I like to think that was my influence and then lack of influence, yeah. which <laughs> I took and formed a band with that dude, you know? And On Spreading the Disease and even Among the Living, though, there are some of your riffs splintered around, right? Yeah. Full songs or just some Just pieces? some riffs, yeah. yeah. That they kind of hung on to. Yeah, they hung on to not always asking me first. And, yeah, uh, so it yeah. could have been nuclear assault songs in theory. Yeah, there was... Uh, was actually, there an overlap like that? There was an overlap where uh, a riff in the middle of Brain Death was the same riff that's in Madhouse. But, you know, I don't know. It Screw happens. it. It's fucking... That's 30 years ago. So yeah. how, did you meet, how did you meet John, and how did, how did the whole thing with nuclear assault start? I met him in Bayside High School just how I met Scott. So, we were in the same orchestra class. He played saxophone, I played the big stand-up bass, and uh, he always had a liter of Pepsi, and I was always high in the morning, and I said, could I have a sip of that, man? <laughs> John, you want to get in here? No? Right. <laughs> He's on his laptop. He's grading papers. He has stuff to do. <laughs> um, oh, cool. So you guys knew each other, and you basically, you left Anthrax, and... Well, I was asked to leave. You were asked to leave Anthrax, Sorry. Is, I mean, is there is there st- bad blood or is it? Well, that's a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously. Okay, the thing was, I was asked to leave because Neil couldn't deal with me, and then they realized seven months later they couldn't deal with him. And seven months after that, Scott calls me up and says, "You want to play in this fun hardcore band?" And that turned out to be SOD. So I think that was his way of saying I fucked up and I still want to jam with you. Right. Yeah. So, and besides, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I was bummed out for a little while, and then I said, I'm not going to sit around feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to f- take charge and form a band where I, maybe I can have a little more uh, opinion. So SOD, that's an interesting one to bring up, because SOD is a band that I don't think could exist today. Like, I don't think that record could it's come out. It's an uptight out. climate. I don't think people's yeah. sense of humor in the un- is uh, like speaking, quite what Speak English or Die would definitely, like, I mean... I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised when I still see people wearing, like, the T-shirt. I'm like, uh... And I know, I, I don't give a shit, but, like, I would imagine that, you know, the way the climate is, that... Well, people just have to relax a little bit. That was more <laughs> about shock value, you know? Of course. It's just like you couldn't have a show like All in the Family come out now. Yeah, Sanford and Son, even. Yeah. The Jeffersons, know? I mean... Anything that could, you know, slightly, oh, that's racist or sexist yeah. or fascist or, you know, it's just... Obviously, S.O.D. was fucking... Two Italians and two Jews. I mean, how much more New York can you get? Yeah, <laughs> it was pure New York from Queens. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, Queens, New Jersey, the Bronx, and the stuff about speaking English or die, and the controversial stuff was more just kind of like pushing people's buttons. We saw people in the New York hardcore, in, not in the New York hardcore scene, people in the hardcore scene who maybe were a little had needed to get over themselves. And this is back then before you even used the words PC, you know, and just said uh, they used to talk shit about Agnostic Front like oh they're a bunch of fucking Nazi skinners yeah they were considered Nazis back so then. we used the Bonnie Raitt theory which was let's give them something to talk about <laughs> yeah. but it was true because uh, I bought Spingl- Speak English a Die of course right when it came out matter of fact I remember a radio interview where you guys debuted the songs on the radio like a month before 
on NYU. I think it was Scott and Charlie. And uh, they played the songs, and everyone laughed. But when it came out, my friends who were coming more from the crass side of things instantly were completely pissed off about it. Good. That's what we were supposed to be yeah. doing. Yeah. So you hit your target. You know, I mean, it, they were mad. They felt like those politics didn't belong in underground music, and they had no sense of humor about it, which and mirrors the, today's do you think, society but Do you think lot. where it was coming from had anything to do with it either? Well, you I know, think like, Billy Milano was... I can, from what I, you can see, he seems the most like Sergeant D in the band. Right. And since he was the mouthpiece a lot, it, it furthered the controversy. Which was funny because actually me and Scott wrote the most fucked up lyrics. And Billy On the record? only wrote Pile for New and No Turning Back, which is one song about a fraternity and one environmentally conscious song. <laughs> yeah, go figure. But this, here's the thing about all those lyrics. Like We also wrote a song about not having milk in the morning and being hungover. Totally. You know, it's like if you're going to... If you want to take the whole thing as a whole and not just... Dissecting it. Yeah, yeah. not looking for the most right. controversial stuff, you'd realize that it was just being obnoxious as possible. I think most people got it, but the ones who didn't were loud. You know? Well, And then there's probably there's people who took it totally out of context and took it seriously. There's some people who actually took it seriously and thought it was awesome, and that was almost awkward. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the intent. Yeah. yeah. Did you... I mean... Yeah, I would imagine like it can almost be interpreted like an anal cunt thing, where yeah. you know, yeah, suddenly have people showing up with, uh, you know, Zeke Heiling at your shows and shit. Yeah, and they were it, just trying to fucking be as obnoxious as possible too. Yeah. Right. Did, did dinner arrive? I think oh, yeah, food has arrived. Yeah. It don't matter. I'm not in a rush. I'm not hungry. Um, so, um, so at this point, '85 SOD comes out. '86 Game Over comes out. Lucas Ultra full-time band. Uh-huh. The plague comes out. At that point, you, that was your main focus. And um, now inside that band, Thrash is getting bigger. Your friends are getting bigger. Were you guys... You guys were always right underneath what, what became, I guess, the big four. Oh, yeah. We didn't worry. We didn't sweat that. Yeah. Well, you guys were very popular. I mean, you know, I'm from New York. You guys... Every time I saw you, there was another hundred people there. And by the time, you know, by the time even the plague was out, you guys were huge. You guys were fucking millionaires band. at that point, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> you had cast out. But um, at what point was there a point inside Nuclear Assault mm-hmm. where you reached that kind of dilemma of like, does the band change our sound or our vibe or our attitude to cater to maybe ride that wave a little? Or to just keep plugging ahead like in a motorhead style, just doing what you do. Oh yeah, we didn't really think like that. I mean, the other two dudes, the other original members besides cool. John and I, came more from a hard rock background. And at one point, they were making some noise about like we should write something that's a little more radio friendly and <laughs> blah blah blah. And we were like, that's not going to work. You're going to write one song like that. Our fans are going to hate it, and the people who'd want to hear that for a whole album are not going to buy one of our records just for one right. song. That's and they'll be disappointed with the rest of the record. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, I can say personally, and yeah, I mean, uh, neither of us ever thought like that as far as because um, John's over here. No, I mean uh, that would go against just the whole mentality of just the band. Always almost had. Aside from a slight musical influence, like a, a punk hardcore attitude about it in the metal world, I think even in the thrash metal world, the mentality seemed kind of punk. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not something we thought about, you know, as far as what our attitude I think was. It was organically what I th- you were. I, I think it was because we'd been immersed in the hardcore scene, and some of that rubbed off. Mm-hmm. 
rubbed off with the lyrics, rubbed off with the music, and it might have rubbed off with the tune. But it was more like we weren't worried about having a big light show and, you know, smoke on stage and fancy fucking pants or anything. Uh, yeah, and having people come up and stage dive and enjoy the show, I mean, that's just what we were about. And I don't know. It's hard to step back and think about it. It's, it's better for you guys to say yeah, that. Yeah, I understand. You know? But you notice it. I mean, I was a metal kid who got into hardcore and punk. Yeah, and as that's, you go further that way, I'm exactly you feel the same in, way. And yeah, you, you feel you, less in common with some of the metal bands as you go more that direction. Yes, but yeah. I never felt. Yeah, that I was never, lost I never felt that disconnect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like yeah, I could well. listen to Discharge and Nausea and all that stuff at that point. It's the same. It's and almost the same. It's the same way I felt still. about early Voivod, like how how that had that vibe of of like almost like a, a crusty punk yeah. type vibe, but it was done in such a like a, a very technical way. And but it's just like the whole thing, the way that the records, the early records were recorded, all of that shit. You could tell what they were listening to. War and pain and roar. I mean, there's discharge all over it. But it's like it's, a, it, it's a similar relationship that I feel like like that we had to Nuclear Salt. You know, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, sure. Let I me mean, uh, sorry, could you go? No, I was I was just agreeing. Uh, <laughs> okay. What I was gonna say is, all my friends who were like thrash metal kids who a week later shaved their heads and then beat up people in Nuclear Salt and Testament shirts, not Nuclear Salt shirts, in Testament shirts. At the you guys were still cool. It was like there was Slayer and Motorhead and Nuclear oh, yeah, Salt, yeah, and totally. you guys were still in that cool factor of like, I used to be a metalhead, but these guys are all right. Because there was a lot of that. When you yeah. grow up in the suburban area, I the know. guys switch in a week, and they look like me and you, and then a week later they got boots and braces and an AF shirt. Yeah, they weren't fooling anybody, though. <laughs> no, they certainly weren't. But um, but I you guys always maintained until they came out of the closet yeah. with people like that, which I always thought was interesting. Well... Yeah, because we had that connection to hardcore. And they see what seems. What, what is Hang your on. connection to hardcore? Like what? Like like what? You started going to like A seven or like and what was A seven was too early for me. Okay, I started going to CBs at the beginning of '84. Okay, and Scott, you know Scotty, and who some people have in the New York hardcore scene have said, you know, wasn't it person who exploited stuff? But he got me into Discharge and Agnostic Front. Okay, so you got to give him fucking props yeah. for that. And once I got into that, I just started searching it all out on my own, which was on two different parallel courses, which was the New York hardcore scene where you could go see bands live and just the hardcore scene in the world where you were going out and buying Discharge and DRI records. Were you tape trading? No, I was too lazy. (laughs) (laughs) But you were tapped into everything that was happening. Well, I was tapped into it because people would give me demos and hand me flyers. Right. You know, and say, could you announce this show on stage and, you know, yep. stuff like that. Because I was the metal kid getting into hardcore, and you seemed to be the only guy in the metal scene who I was like, oh, this guy's already there. He's already into it. You were already with me or a step ahead. And I was losing most of those metal people, but you were kind of taking the same ride while maintaining being in that thrash metal world, which I was also in. Well, I never saw that there had to be, that it had to be mutually exclusive. I remember watching kids walk into Bleaker Bob's, and trade in their Slayer records and buy Minor Threat records. Exactly. And I'm like, dude, unless you're fucking dead broke, why can't they all be... What's yeah. up, bro? Hey, Ron. Hey, Drew, what's why up, Why can't man? they all be together? I'm oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You can interrupt. What's up, dude? And I see my Thanks friend. Thanks for reaching out to me in L.A. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries, bro. Ladies and gentlemen, Drew Stone, former former guest on the on the uh, automatic crowd. Ready for a fun, tight, fun time tonight at Howie Abrams' <laughs> birthday bash. Howie's right old. On. I'm right behind them. I can't talk shit. We were just talking about how Nuclear Assault was one of the only metal bands that got uh, 
but accepted in the hardcore scene and blah blah blah. No, we weren't, were we? No, absolutely. We kind of were. No, absolutely. It was. Uh, you better get him a mic. There, there was there was a moment there where there was a lot of cross pollination, you know, and on the hardcore side there was Agnostic Front and um, the Crumb Suckers. Ludicrous. Ludicrous. It's sort of on the metal side. You know, there was Nuclear Assault and Carnivore. Yep. Right. So I forget Leeway. Yeah, and Leeway for sure. Yeah, Leeway sort of surrounded the middle, but no, yeah. You, you, but we talk about it in the New York Harbor Chronicles film. You guys were embraced, man. It was it was cool. Because they saw that we, we weren't trying to exploit it. We were just there enjoying it, and it rubbed off on us. And get back to your thing about kids changing, and uh, you know, but from one identity to another, so to speak. Like I was saying, you were the, one of the few bands that survived that total closed-minded mentality. But it was amazing because, uh, you know, when you're that age, you, you wear it all on your sleeve and you're so passionate, but you're also, you don't think everything out long-term. And a lot of these kids were beating up people that they were exactly like just six weeks ago. And it, yeah, it was but, so I mean, hard. Th- it was I so bizarre just, to watch. It's just like a youthful thing, man. It's just like, like those people are all like not, they're not people who are going to stay forever. You know what I mean? Well, some, some of them are still just, around. <laughs> they're just rab- rabble rousers, should we say? Some you know? people are fickle. You know, those those people might be just well, what a, not what, even into it at all now. Not even right. that's what I that's, mean. Yeah, that's true I, to a degree. Yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting though. But when you live in a small town and everyone's an outcast, I mean, I hung out with the new wave kids, the punk kids, the hardcore kids, and the metal kids because we were the outcasts. Well, if you freaks. didn't hang out with the new but wave kids, you could never scene. meet. In, you had to hang out with the new wave kids to hang out with girls. Well, yeah. Well, so that was way. like you know, like Which you kind of had to give into that. But the know? point is, when you got in the scene, you realized that the people who are like your friends in your town, you are potentially your enemies in the club circuit. You'd go to CBs or Lamore or the Ritz, and there's these lines drawn that aren't drawn in your little. You grow up in this thing with 25 people. And you're all one big family there. And then yeah. we, well, I used to go to shows with guys with mohawks, guys with long hair, and skinheads. And we'd get in real incidents because we were thick as thieves, but we went in a world where it wasn't accepted yeah, to it's, be that. It's funny how that's evolved. Like, that doesn't well, exist. Now it's it doesn't exist anymore. It's a no. non existent thing now, which is great. I mean, it's how it should have I blame years the ago. iPod shuffle. Well, yeah, you never used to hear Metallica <laughs> on car commercials either. Yeah. Yeah. Things have changed. Yeah, it's a different world. You never used to hear Metallica on the radio or no. in TV or anything. Yeah, I mean. Mm-hmm. They used to be good. Yeah, they also used to write music that uh, first four records are unfuckable with. Well, except for the fact there's no bass on it. Yeah, I was just going to yeah, say, Justice Fall got ruined by Jason's that. Jason's only there in picture form. But it's still a great record. I still, you know, I got to say. It's. You know, it's the last great record for sure. It's it's amazing to me. When I, you think that, about, I think it's a step down from the first three, but it's a really good record. When you think about every record you put out, right? Like you're like, like I I've put out twenty five records in my life, okay? And every single record that I put out, like I kind of, you know, it's important. It's important what the way it sounds. It's just going to be there forever, and you know, like yeah. this is like, and especially for a band like that, why the fuck would you do that to your record that you know is going to be big? And as a turning point in your career, it's just—it's mind-boggling. They explained to me. it as like a hazing post. Yes. You don't haze a fucking album. I, I've like, never heard of that. I mean, it's bizarre. It's to me, asinine. But. Yeah, apparently, yeah, the bass was just removed from it just to be like, haha, welcome. Yeah. But you don't, you know, if you want to do that, you know, yeah, do a real hazing. Make the guy drink three bottles of fucking Stolich Naya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, got- I mean, nearly kill him. That's a better idea. Did you try out for Metallica, Dan? Did, Did you get ask asked? You? I did not get asked. Damn. But uh, I was hoping for a good one. 
No. Well, Nuka Assault was kicking full blast by that point, so. Yeah, I was kind of It was of between Survive and they Handle with care. They didn't care, probably, right? So was Floss well, Survive, Jetson. I guess, it, No, no, no. When did he die? Late 86, so before Survive. That's before Game yeah. Over it came out. You had to be on Slagle's yeah, radar to fall, get that right? game. Actually, right around that time. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I was doing what I was doing. Yeah, you were in a happy place, for sure. Yeah. So Nuka Assault lasts through the end of the 80s, and then some things happened within the band that kind of splintered. And when did Brutal Truth start? Did it start before... You well, left Nuclear Assault during, or there after? Was, there was two years where it was 90 to 92 when I was in both bands. Yeah. That was the demo era of Brutal Truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so you left Nuclear Assault, uh, was it 91? Two. 92? Okay. And then uh, then you signed the earache with Brutal Truth. Uh-huh. And then um, did a ton of touring with Brutal Truth. Yeah. Well, uh, we were definitely road dogs and went out and did what we had to open up for Immolation and Cannibal Corpse for 250 bucks a show and just have enough money for the van and hotels. And I mean, you worked your way up from the bottom with that band all over again. And, uh, but it seemed like you got... I mean, the band was great and got like instant respect. Well, we... I just wanted to play really fast grindcore. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be faster <laughs> than anything else. We just kept rehearsing until we realized that we weren't trying to out napalm, napalm. Right. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Well, they slowed down anyway. So, yeah. yeah, and we were just taking off. So, It was interesting, though, because there was nothing in New York or even anywhere, really. You, Everyone has similar enough influences, but Brutal Truth doesn't sound yeah, like what, any what, of the who bands. Were your, you get. Who were your contemporaries that you, did you feel at that time? That's was it the Earache bands that you were signed with or not necessarily? That's really hard to say because we had diverse influences. I mean... We had shit where we were going to see John Zorn and stuff like that, and maybe which does come through on the records for sure, right? So, well, Napalm and Carcass were already bigger than us. I mean, I don't know. I mean, and again, they were changing yeah, at, at that mean, point. There were other grind bands like Phobia and stuff that were yeah. probably at the same level we were at, but on the West Coast, yeah, we didn't uh, think in terms of we were just on our own island. You know, and especially after Rich joined the band and everybody smoked weed all the time, then that's when we really started going off into bizarre tangents where when we were writing music, when most bands rehearse, there'll be a point where they'll laugh and go, imagine if we did that, ha, 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 we just did it. Right. <laughs> like, and you, that we, was more free played? with Rich than Scott as far as reaching that level? Well, Scott just got burnt on playing Grind anyway. Okay. So he just didn't want to do it no more. But uh, Do you find Grind, grind to be limited? In, in any way? Well, we didn't let that happen. I was going to say, you brought in so many outside influences that yeah, we to did. call you grind is a simplification of a much right. more complex sound. That was our starting point. Right. And then we just kind of had no rules about what could be incorporated into it. Because grind, grind seems to me nowadays... Like it does, like there are bands that, that take it to it, like Pig Destroyer or shit like that, like they, they kind of do like stuff that's a little out there. It's but more formulaic now for yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it just seems the like the earliest point of it. There's so. like a thing where, like, like, well, they're not really a grind band because they do this or they do that. And like my, my introduction to grind, was, well, was just Pete Sandoval on a Morbid Angel record playing a blast beat. I'd never right. heard that before. See, to me, I hadn't heard Napalm Death yet. But uh, okay. later that's on, later. it was Asuk. And Asuk, to me, is a fucking grind band. Like, sure. You know? 30 seconds. To me, songs. Grind, though, was the it, extension of really fast hardcore punk, and the metal element came in a couple of years later. Like, on the tape trading side of things, there were 100 bands that were almost Grind, and they all came from hardcore yeah, but punk punk roots. guys were never expected to be that good at their instrument, and being, being a Grind drummer, you have to 
Well, the Terrorizer record, I think, is what crossed it over first for me. And it was like Metalheads yeah. heard it, and they were like, wow, this is tight and competent and has good production. It's not just brutal. And then it just started this wave that... And now I don't even know if people know the roots of it as much. But yeah. bottom line is, when it comes to Brutal Truth, there was so many outside influences coming in that if you came out today, I don't know if we would even be able to classify it. Well, that's the thing. We never worried about classification. Yeah. We were working under the general thing that we were a grind band, but... There was no limitations or anything like, like, can't do this because it's not grind. Or, you know, if we wanted to fucking take a, an actual grinder and fucking sell apart <laughs> a car door, you know, throw a little missing foundation in there or something, yeah. then why the fuck not? Which I think is um, why that band is so unique. And it was also unique live because grind at that point was getting associated more with metal. And you guys had a lot of outside noisier, literal noise and industrial type influences, as well as a good healthy amount of the hardcore punk that was getting lost in the grindcore sound. So for me, it was like taking my whole record collection and having a car accident in one band. Right, <laughs> and just like a car accident, you can't look away. Yeah, exactly, yeah. which is why I probably saw you 25 times in four years. Well, the thing is, we, you know... Not to overstate it, but we just didn't give a fuck. And we said, okay, well, what if we... Wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And we never said, no, can't do that, because that wouldn't fall inside the classification of something. Why would why would we let that limit us? Right. Yeah. And through the whole time, you guys were able to make a living? Or Well, no. No? I mean, yeah, you were touring I mean, heavy, though, weren't you? We were touring, but I also lived with my parents then, okay. so I wasn't worried about paying rent. And I have no shame with that, because no, when I was 22, people would mock me and say, oh, you live with your parents? I'd see them seven years later, and they're like, fuck, I wish I lived at home. Yeah. Oh, my God. I got thrown out when I was 21, and if I could have stayed, because I would have just kept touring. I did keep touring. Unfortunately, I put myself in deep debt over and over and over again. But, but yeah, I was like, oh, man, if I could just live with my parents and I had no rent? Oh, my God. You'd never see me. I'd well, that's the constantly. age-old thing where it's like you stay true and to your music. And you get your laundry done. You stay true to your music, but there, especially in New York where it started getting really expensive to live. You know, a lot of people reach the real crossroads in their life where it's like, hey, is music my career or do I got to bounce out and be part-time? Yeah, New York, New York definitely spits people out in that, in that respect. It's, especially nowadays, it's almost impossible. Like, it used to be like, you move to New York and... Yeah, like, I'm going to be a musician, I'm going to, you know, this, or this, where everything's happening. And yeah, there's a lot of people here to go see shows, and this, this, and that, but you just wind up living to pay rent. That's it. You know, there's nothing you to go more. to like Baltimore or Philly or a place where it's still reasonable Fucking to be Detroit. an artist. Or yeah, Detroit, yeah. yeah. I don't know what the scene's like there, I haven't been there. But Baltimore and Philly, I'm very well acquainted with the scenes, and you could be a musician and pick up those side jobs and still live I always live say that go life. to the Midwest, because then you can go east or west. You can go either it's way. It's middle ground. <laughs> So let me ask you, after, uh, well, during Brutal Truth, actually, you were doing Hemlock for a while. Uh, how did that happen? That's when I met you, actually, through Lino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Who will be here later. Oh, right on. I haven't talked to you. Um, Mike. Mikey Jean, ladies and gentlemen. Eating some pizza. Who's <laughs> well, actually opening today? Hemlock started because uh, I became friends with Tony and Lino just from being around the metal shows and everything like that. Porphyria used to rehearse the same place that Brutal Truth would rehearse on 30th Street and 8th Avenue at Ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And uh, hang out with those guys. And, you know, this is by the time that the whole uh, Scandinavian black metal thing had blossomed. And 
some people just were into it for the controversy. But, you know, some people are actually still listening to it after, oh, boy, they burn churches and kill people, right. like, whatever. Um, so we all wanted to play that type of music. And uh, I think you were the only band in New York doing oh, yeah. that at that time. Oh, I didn't absolutely. know any other band. I remember I saw you guys. And oh, I was like, no, we were fucking hated. Yeah. yeah there was no... <laughs> It didn't matter. <coughs> what was big in New York then was, you know, being brutal, guttural death metal totally. breakdowns. and Everyone shit. was on the suffocation kind of death metal. Yeah, which was fine. I had nothing against that stuff, but no, I, me I didn't want to play it. Yeah. And the attitude of Hemlock, aside from the music, was so different. I mean, you, I, it was left field. You know, Brutal Truth was too, but uh, Hemlock, I think, was even more left field to that stuff. Because I think even metalheads were kind of like... they. That stuff hadn't been... There's very few people. I mean, I was listening to that stuff, but there wasn't many people like us listening to that in New York at the time. Well, a lot of people thought black metal had to have a whole bunch of keyboards or be some kind of It was symphonic. Yeah. yeah, and we were more like, it should just be a fucking a punch in the face. And our attitude as far as playing black metal was that black metal was supposed to be raw and nasty, and it should be a fucking... A fist, not a slap, you know? Not a slap of the white glove. The <laughs> titanium. Yeah, so... A white glove. And we, um... What's it called? That was our approach. No, it was Primal. Yeah, and... Who was the drummer? I can't remember. Tony. So it was... And then Lino, and then you, okay. Yeah, and then we had Branson and Tom. That's right, yep. Yeah. And that lasted, what, three, four years, maybe? That lasted five years. Five years? Until 9-11 happened, and then, uh... <clears throat> Tony freaked out, wanted to fucking go to Afghanistan and kill Osama bin Laden, and then I uh, did. He join the Marines? No, oh, no. he just got really mad and didn't. Um, <laughs> I Is he coming tonight? No, he's in Jersey. Okay. I met my wife and moved to Rochester, so that kind of broke the band up. And but was when you went to Rochester was uh, you went a few bands there as well. I played in a band called Crucifist from 2004 to 2010. I played a mix of Black Death and Doom. We played down here a few times. I saw, I saw the few times you guys played. You were really good. Thanks. And then when that broke up, I formed a band that was more pure black metal called Nocturnal Hellstorm. That one I actually, never heard. We played here at Vitus. Did you? Yeah. With the singer. Artie said, didn't even know. It's his club. I, yeah. I probably booked the show. Ago. I didn't even know about <laughs> Yeah. That was like pure fucking... Pure black metal. We broke up last August in August, though, because our singer moved to Texas. And how many records did you guys put out? Two. Three years ago, there were so many. Well, four years ago, especially, there was so many black metal bands playing here that I literally couldn't keep track. Like not even European ones, like American ones. Is like, I yeah. felt like black metal became a thing that was like. Yeah, especially I hate to say it, but here in Brooklyn, Definitely, uh, it's there, true. there's been some issues with fucking uh, people. If I'm going to use the H word, where I don't yeah. have to, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just felt like it, it became the new punk, you know, where it was like the only guy who had to be skilled in the band was a drummer, and like it's, if you had a good drummer, you could just go. But it was so much trendier than punk. Well, that's, that's the, the difference. problem. You know, you don't. Not yeah. even about musicianship. It's, it's, fashion, about it's musicianship. definitely fashionable. Yeah, definitely. it became something that people played because they were curious, and just it's not. You can't see the finger. Well, I think like Doom is a little bit that now. I think it's. Sort yes, of. but black metal has more ideology. It's about darkness and True. fucking the rejection of fucking... It's not something you do lightly. It's not something that you do because it's cool. Right. At least in my opinion. Completely. I agree. 
And but I think that's like, and I'm agreeing with you. But there are people who take it way. There are also people crop. who take it way too fucking seriously. So you know, they, well, you know, if it's for the right reasons, I don't got a problem with that. Right. You know, I mean, it's people like Watain, they don't fuck around. But yeah. I am not a Satanist. I just reject Christianity. I'm a fucking Jew. But I've always been an atheist. I've always... My attitude toward black metal is just because it's an inversion of just fucking beliefs that I think are wrong. And that... What was it just yesterday when fucking they marched in D.C. for fucking the right to life fucking yep. anti-abortion motherfuckers? Yep. You know? There's people like that that I play music for to give them a migraine, to make them scared. The extreme Christian, right? Yeah. I want to make those people's lives miserable. Do you think it's gotten harder to scare people at this point? I don't know. I'm pretty scared. Like, by I mean, they're, they're making they're making a Lords. Of, <laughs> they're making a, They've finished a movie about Lords of Chaos. Okay. I, well, but that's yeah. a different thing. Believe yeah, yeah. me, I had that's a long a conversation with Necro Butcher about this when, yeah, look, when Mayhem yeah. played here. But yeah, yeah. It's, black metal is dead. Long live black metal. Whatever. <laughs> you know, there's always going to be the feeling, but um, you can be that guy just like in hardcore. Hardcore right. and black metal are both very ideological genres, and some people think. I was there and fucking you don't know, you know, and I was there at the beginning and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But but look at, look at Hemlock compared to, I mean, when you guys were doing Hemlock, and I mean, I was at those shows, could you have ever imagined that kind of wave happening here in New York? It was like a different planet. I never saw it coming. I really didn't as a trend. And it's that watered down, too. No, and I'm glad that we did it before It took a long time. It took a long time, a long time to get there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we uh, we did it when it meant something. <laughs> yeah, and you know, ironically, there's few people that know. I think Hemlock is criminally underrated uh, musically as well as just when black metal is talked about in the states, it doesn't get its due. Oh, we don't. We're not in the USBM. Whatever. No, not at all. I whatever. Think, yeah. That don't matter. Yeah, the people who know know. Yeah, we weren't after uh, credit credit or anything like that, man. Also, speaking of other projects you did, uh, Ravenous. Well, Ravenous was just, you know, before Autopsy came back, Chris wanted to get some shit like that out of his system, and we'd been old friends, and it was really the same thing when he tapped me for the first few Autopsy shows. He just liked my bass sounds and knew I was down. It's the perfect sound for the <clears throat> yeah. projects. Well, yeah, when I played live with Autopsy, that was the only time there was, like, distorted... Well, no, that's not true. There's some shit on records, but when Josh played with them but um, I think it just fit good yeah it Having definitely did gnarly bass and, yeah, and they, were they, you they, part they, of the writing process with Ravenous or was that him and then you were kind of like you guys because no, he's I on the west coast I don't know how yeah, it worked yeah I just learned shit okay so it was mostly his project and you were yeah him and Killjoy yeah and is Killjoy on the west coast too or was this one of no, those no he's things? in Ohio that was just he's still there the, okay I believe so yeah okay so that was like a did you guys get... I saw you at Seabees once. But, yeah, played with Mayhem, yeah. Yeah, but um, did you guys get to tour much? Or were you mostly doing, like, no, one-off shows? No, just a couple of festivals. That was really I, I figured, yeah. Yeah, everybody was busy. Yeah, I figured as much. What Sick. other of your endless projects might think? Oh, Extra Hot Sauce? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the bring, birthday boys. So, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, Howie's here, so have yeah. to bring that up. <laughs> well, I was just... I wasn't the best drummer, but that was just fun playing, like, fast, noisy, hardcore. Yeah, Stupid, definitely. stupid, fast, noisy. And hardcore. you guys were obviously already tight, so yeah. that was a natural fit. Yeah, that was just for fun. It's a fun record. Yeah. So you know all those black metal guys, like the... 
the Mayhem guys and yes. all that shit? Like, are you, are you friends with those guys? And like, you? Yeah, I'm friends with anybody who was in a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Specifically who? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, the Count. Oh, well, yeah. 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 Were you ever, did you ever no, inter- I didn't interact know, with him? I didn't know him. I didn't know you. He was in jail by, yeah, by the time. Yeah. No, I'm friends with people who went to prison, like Faust and shit like that. Yeah. But, you know, he just did something stupid when he was 18. Faust and, played here. Yeah. Did yeah. he? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, he's he a cool dude. I thought, I was gonna, I thought we were going to get more shit for it, but, yeah. You know, people, those guys, some of those guys just did dumb shit when they were teenagers because they were trying to outdo each other, and it was dumb burning down those churches because they weren't actually Christian churches. They were pagan churches that the Christians took over, so you're just burning down a beautiful old building. Yeah. Which is part of the culture they were They were beautiful. Yeah. 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 That had not, that the Christians fucking came up and put a cross on the top of. Right. Yeah. Pre-existing pagan institutions. I understand they're fucking animus, but it was kind of. Misdirected, yeah. I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah. Didn't do their research properly. Yeah. But, yeah, but I, <laughs> he weren't an account. But uh, it's very different than a guy with a, an ideology decades long, which is, you know, I, don't, I, I, I agree with you. There's a huge difference between him and his long-term ideology and what they did when they were young and kind of... Oh, I, I like Burson, too. Like, love There's some good music, for sure. I mean... Yeah, if I met the guy, I'd probably sit down and chat with him, but, you know... As long as he knew I was a Jew. Probably makes an interesting he, conversation. I don't think he gives a shit anymore. I think people say dumb shit when they're young and fucking just relax. I wonder. I mean, he's pretty low-key now, so I don't know. Well, yeah. He does YouTube videos pretty he often. He does, right? Yeah. I, I haven't seen uh, them. Apparently, he hasn't chilled that much. But, I mean, no. I, it's part of his brand, so I guess he's just got to keep it up. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I, I lost touch with him back when he... You know, with his music even back then, you know. Yeah, all those fucking dudes from the old days, they all liked Brutal Truth, but since it was so PC, they couldn't really admit it. Right. But they'll tell you when they're drunk. Musically, I'd be surprised if they didn't. I guess that at the time, you know, it was like we were talking about before when metalheads become hardcore kids. Everyone was so rigid in their stances then. You're younger and you're... Well, it's like not a Frost told me. He's like, I love that record, just not the lyrics. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is honest. Uh-huh. Well, fair enough. So, uh, how's your retirement going? Not like I planned. <laughs> Semi-retired? Semi-retired. I couldn't get away from it totally. You have a good balance now, as far as where you're at? Yeah, man, because... Well, see, Nocturnal Hellstorm broke up in August, but before that, I was playing black metal and grindcore in my old town, my own town, because I also play in Blurring. And then you can play a show, play extreme music, and then just go home that night, sleep in your own bed, pet the cat first. That's kind of cool. <laughs> so are you more in the mindset of still doing music but and just not to touring a, anymore? Just not touring hardly because right. it's just, since I moved up to Rochester, it's like harder to have direct flights and airports. I'm just getting sick of getting dicked around in airports and fucking getting angry. And You, you did know. your time on the road and then some. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so. But you are still doing some projects now. Well, yeah, I'm still playing and blurring at home. Uh, I'll still do Venomous concept shows once in a great while, if there's a reason. Is there, are there, is there a new Venomous record coming out? Do you uh, know? Nah, not right now. No. We don't move very fast. Right. Because we're all spread out. But well, it still exists. It still exists. It's just loose. Yeah. <coughs> cool. Which is probably perfect for where you're at anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if there's time, I'll do it. Yeah. I've filled in on a couple of lockup tours when Shane couldn't do it. When yeah, he how did doubled. those tours go? Those were cool because, you know, it's just... You're all good friends already. Yep. I mean, we got cool Barker band. playing, yeah. you know, here tonight. So it's like uh, just a bunch of your mates, really. Cool, man. 
Sweet, man. It's awesome. You hungry yet? Yeah, I'm going to have a pizza <laughs> and a beer in a minute. Yo, I got to show you a record. Hang on one second, because I'm a vinyl nut and I'm a nut. This. Oh, God. Do you remember this record? Yeah, I think I'm on here. You are on there. You play trumpet. No, it's trombone. Trombone. My bad. Yeah. From 1978. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Was based at high school? My friend used to work at Combat Records, and he was, I was wearing a Nuclear Assault shirt, and he's like, hey, you love Nuclear Assault, right? I'm like, yeah. And he had a Game Over Test Press and this, and this I bought This is junior them. high school. <laughs> junior high school before I met you. It was even before you met John. Yeah. You have to sign that because that's. <laughs> I suppose I could. It would be unusual, but yeah. Yeah. Because. Uh, you got to write down which seat trombone you were filling. Do you have any memories? Do you have any memories of this record at all? This is your no. first vinyl, right? This predates Anthrax by a good five years, right? I never thought about that. I'll just put a big question mark. I'm, I'm going to guess that this is the only Dan Loker autographed version of that. I, I mean, I can't even imagine how many. It's got a question mark, and it's even at Squiggly. That's perfect. That's how many How cool. many of those did they actually print? I mean, the school printed them for like 300. I think there's some on purple vinyl. <laughs> Uh, a I'm, only, press? I'm only going for the marble. That's it. Right. right. It's like Earth AD, man. Is the is the basement demo available? Shit, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> no fucking idea. Did you see that? It's me playing trombone in junior high school. Yeah, check. We it have out. that somewhere. You have one in your collection somewhere? Well, I, I think so. Yeah, so, uh, I'm gonna let you eat brutal. and get get on with your day. And uh, thank you for sitting down with us. I appreciate yeah, thanks for being here. And any other nuclear salt plants? At the uh, moment, before you go? Not at John. the moment. Not at the moment. Not he the looks moment. like he's sleeping. He's got to save his voice. Which, by the way, you sound exactly the same. Yeah, sound check was killer. It's it's awesome. No, hey. it's... It was like Lemore's 86 all over again. <laughs> if we get an offer to play Bucharest, Romania, we'll go there. That's it. That's it. All right. You, yeah. you Thanks for doing You heard this, it man. here yeah, first, vampires, last. Vampires. Very appreciated. Okay.